This is Life Elsewhere, created and hosted by Norman B. Hello there. Welcome to Life Elsewhere. I'm Norman B. Coming up, a very important show centered around a topic that apparently confuses and upsets so many people. Sexuality. Later in the program, we go back in time to when the Supreme Court ruled that same-sex couples in the United States, no matter where they live, have the same legal right to marry as different sex couples. You'll hear my conversation about that landmark decision with Associate Professor of Ancient Roman History, Julie Langford. That was in 2015. It seems like, excuse me, ancient history now. And here we are in 2023 and the concerns about same-sex marriage appear to have been overshadowed by total misunderstanding and ignorance about gender identity and sexuality, with transphobia causing hysteria. The esteemed anthropologist Augustin Fuentes wrote a brilliant essay on the topic for Scientific America. It's titled, Here's Why Human Sex is Not Binary. Professor Fuentes is a friend of Life Elsewhere and welcomed the opportunity to discuss his essay, which has caused a lot of consternation amongst many people. Here then is our conversation recorded just a few days ago. Please note, this is a graphic discussion that may make some listeners uneasy, but we urge everyone to listen to be better informed. There was an opinion piece in Scientific American on the 1st of May that caught my attention. The headline, Here's Why Human Sex is Not Binary. The subhead, over, don't make a woman, and sperm, don't make a man. This piece was written by a very good friend of the program, a gentleman we just love having on Life Elsewhere, Agustin Fuentes. Agustin, welcome back to Life Elsewhere. Hi, Norman. Thanks for having me back. I'm glad to be here. So this piece caught my attention, but it <laughs> not only caught my attention, from what I understand, it sent not just ripples, but actually sort of tidal waves through the, let's say, the scientific community. Can you talk about that, about why your piece unsettled so many people a few scientists a few got scientists. better okay. shape yeah okay but right. uh but but what it really sent off a wave is is through the broader sort of public um as many of these conversations do right people care about gender sex sex gender however you want to sort of frame those things um and what really i think bothered some people and was very um uh, other people were very happy to see is this idea that the binary, that is a one zero, two different kinds of human, male and female, Yes, that's not the best way to think about humanity. Now, really important, that doesn't mean that male and female aren't important categories central to structure our lives and very real things. It just means that they're not complete diametrically opposed different things, that there's overlap and some complexity, that there's more than meets the eye. And that's why I said, 
ova don't make a woman and sperm don't make a man because the piece I wrote was actually invited by Scientific American in specific response to an op-ed in the Wall Street Journal, which basically said that we need to be making laws based on which kind of gametes you produce, right? That that's the definition of male and female, and that's the laws. And it was basically an anti-trans piece. My piece is not just about sort of that complexity in relation to to transgender, uh, transsexual individuals, but what it's really about is how can we best biologically and socially think about sex? Now, what I'm going to suggest is that my listeners read your piece and then read it again. I mean, it, it really is a terrific it is a terrific piece of writing. I'm going to have the link up on our website. I've already put it up on social media a number of places. So for argument's sake right now, I just so we don't have to go through the whole thing all right. as much as I would like to. I'd like my listeners to go to that so they really have a, 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 a complete understanding of what of what you wrote. So I've got a question that, 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 and I think you know I'm going to ask this. Why in the world is there such a lot of? I'm going to use the word confusion about about sex, and in particular, transgender and and non-binary and homosexuality, and I mean we could go through a, a complete list, but there just seems to be a bizarre kind of obsession almost with with not understanding and and being in in some respects in some courses highly critical yeah so um i think that's that's the the bottom line right and let me just point out for for your listeners uh the essay is only 920 words long yes it's it's not a a huge investment right exactly Um, yeah but it's got a bunch of links to much larger data and research papers and things like that. So, yeah. so why are people losing their minds over this? So once this thing came up, I got thousands upon thousands of hate mail, of attacks on social media and of you know phone calls and letters to my address and a bunch of really crazy stuff. People losing their mind, first of all, because they didn't read the piece. Right. right. That was one of the parts. Yes. And yes. they were just like, you're saying that males and females are the same, that there's no males and females. I'm like, no, I say explicitly exactly. in the piece that there are males and females and that, in fact, the reproductive anatomy, uteruses, gonads, you know, testes, yes. ovaries, those things really structure bodies in important ways. But. But there's overlap and some complexity there. So if we're going to be making laws right about who counts as a full human being who's woman, who's a man. Yes. Remember, woman and man are not necessarily the same as male and female. If we're going to be making these laws, we've got to take the big picture into account. History, politics, bodies, identities. Um, so that's the stage, right? And then I'll answer really quickly your actual question. Yes. Why are people yes. so confused? Because sex is really confusing for humans. It's it's confusing for most of the planet, and it's varied and comes in all these different ways and patterns. But for humans, it's never just about sperm or ova or the things that make sperm and ova it's about lived experiences bodies lives identities politics all of those mixed together so to understand sex in humans you've got to understand the entirety of the human experience you can't just say oh this person has genitals x therefore i know everything yes now you are an anthropologist and in part of of what you do i guess history comes into it even though you're mm-hmm. not actually a historian but in it but in some respects you are and 
I think I'm correct in saying that throughout history, the the confusion about sexuality let's let's just use the word confusion for the time being has always been around, and we've gone through different periods where it's not been of any concern whether you were gay or straight or in between or whatever. Then we come in to say let's for argument's sake, the Victorian times when all of a sudden things change. And then we come into the swinging 60s and again <laughs> things start to change. But now here we are in the year 2023 and it's almost like we've gone back in time. But I'm just wondering from an anthropologist's point of view, stroke historian, is this just part of of what we do as 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 humans we sort of keep going backwards and forwards well i mean two things are important yes we do actually as humans we keep repeating sort of the basic yeah. patterns and social structures and dynamics because we're complicated and and that's that's cool that's fine it's what we do but i think when it comes to sexuality so i am a historian only in the sense that i'm interested in the deep evolutionary histories of our bodies and our yes. cultures and our lives right so i studied the past as well as the present um, and and, I, and particularly around bodies. And one thing that we know is the case quite deeply is that human bodies are incredibly flexible and dynamic around sexual interactions and sexualities, attraction, desire, all of those kinds of things, right? There's a lot of fluidity there and there always has been. So cross-culturally, historically and today, right? You can see there are lots of ways in which people embody their desires, their sexualities or lack thereof, how they yes. identify. And those structures are contingent upon, right, in some ways, or in conflict with how societies classify people. So, so we've always have these different ways. And you look around at different parts of the world over different times have had a bunch of different kinds of classifications. Right now in the United States, we have in, in, in the contemporary world, let's say the United States, UK, Europe, Brazil, where, wherever you tend to land, yes. um, you've got this dynamic moment where we've got biology, we've got politics and history we've got identities and individual experiences all mixing with sexuality creating a really dynamic confusion as you yes. point out but but the problem is is that's not a bad thing there's a lot of plasticity in the way humans are sexually and what we need to recognize is that different people do this in different ways and we have to ask ourselves as a society how how do we want to deal with that um, and one way is through being incredibly restrictive and telling people there's only one way to be. Another way is to see how people are and try to enculture that and figure out how to make the most, make society a way where people can flourish. Agustin Fuentes is my guest. We're talking about a, a piece, an opinion piece he wrote in Scientific American titled, Here's Why Human Sex is not binary as as he just said it's only about 900 words long so it really is a, a rather short read and very very worthwhile reading i i have to tell you and the link is up at lifeelsewhere.co so the reaction to your piece was so hostile in so many ways i'm not so sure that you were expecting that i i'm i'm almost positive that that you knew that there would be some people that wouldn't like for a myriad of reasons but at the same time i i have to ask you that must have been incredibly troubling that you've got such such a response well i think the most troubling thing is there's three ways in which it's troubling right one is just the sheer hate yes that appeared on social media the anger the violence the threats the kind of 
the the idea that there are people out there who believe that people who don't match the way they want the world to be shouldn't exist. Um, and, and that's 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 scary. And, and there's a larger political context for that right now. The second way that I was surprised, although I knew this was coming to a certain extent, that certain of my scientific colleagues, the biologists uh, um, uh, and, and sort of folks who are trained in biology but not currently practicing, um, they there's a small subset of them that are very much focused on making sure in some way that there is a notion of biology which has just male and female in a binary, two yeah. kinds of human being with no sort of slop in between there. Yes. Um, and and they also have have a stake in this, especially when it comes to the, the transgender uh, context. And, and there are people who are actively campaigning and working uh, against uh, transgendered rights. And that was what I was writing this in response to, a, a piece in the Wall Street Journal that was arguing against uh, particular sets of rights. And the third thing, um, and I do have to say this, uh, lots of people were very positive and I got lots of nice emails and social yes, media. But, yes. but the third thing that concerned me is the amazing level of ignorance about basic biology in the broader public. So a lot of this anger, right, was just around the words, sex is not binary. They were really angry because they read into that the idea that I don't believe sexes occur, which is wrong. They read into that, that there isn't males and females, which I didn't say. And they read into that, that uh, male, I'm arguing males and females are the same. I said none of those three yeah. things. Yes. But, but their leap to that, right, when it was clear that I was saying, look, there's some complexity and overlap and patterns, and we need to think about this complexity at all levels when we make laws, which was the point of my piece, um, they never even get to that mostly. There's two words that you said that I want to pick on, um, and one is ignorance and the other is politics. And we could go mm -hmm. off on, certainly go off on a tangent. Let's just talk about, just quickly about the political side of things. For instance, I'm based in in Florida for whatever sins I committed. Uh, <laughs> and, and as you probably know only too well, the governor has just signed into being um, – a bill that says that medical services can't can't help people that are in transition or or, or they, I, I don't want to get into the whole details yeah. of it, but it's but quite frankly, it's 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 horrendous. I mean, it's just from just a human yes. humanity point of view, it's just it's nuts. I mean, it's just it's it's ridiculous. So there's that, and then there's the the word ignorance. That's always surprised me, just how ignorant <laughs> my fellow man can be just about some some basic things. And I, I wonder for you, Augustine, is, is that something that, that bothers you? Or, or, uh, because of what you do and what you've seen throughout the years and what you've studied, does the idea of ignorance just you go, hmm, yeah, of course, absolutely? Yeah, I mean... Part of it, the ignorance thing, I think that the, the the problem here is that the education system, I'm an educator, right? I blame yeah. myself yeah. And, and 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 many other. We, we've let the system fall apart in the sense of basic education. So if people understood like basic human biology, and now here, let's be clear, some biologists who don't like what I say would say, I don't understand basic biology, but I'm yes. glad to lay that out and go ahead and read what I put out anyway. The, the bottom line is people should at least understand how biological systems work, what basic reproductive biology is like, and how that works before losing their minds. And I think people don't. I, I think uh, we have very good evidence that people don't understand biology uh, writ large, and, and that's part of the education system. But 
I think the worst thing going on here is a kind of willful ignorance. People are ready to leap into the political fray and make assertions, right? Bring the yes. politics back yeah. um, without doing any of the work, without being like, okay, do I even know what I'm talking about? Right? Sex is not binary or the, the sex is not the binary is not the best way to see sex. Immediately, they jump to all these conclusions that are not in the statement, right? And that are not part of the argument being made because really they don't care about the biology. Most of these people who are mad, they don't care about anything except the word binary to them is an essentialist notion of what male and female, that male and female are different kinds of things and that any suggestion that that's not exactly true or wholly true is threatening to their worldview. And so yes. what happens, and I think the governor of Florida is a perfect example of this, right? He has, and, and a lot of the folks he works with and the laws that are being passed are intentionally dehumanizing. They're intentionally saying, look, there's a group of folks, a very small group of folks, but a group of folks nonetheless, who are undergoing these patterns uh, uh, biologically, culturally, they're experiencing different kinds of things, they have different senses of identity. Um, they're not hurting anyone, despite, I mean, some people might argue yeah. that, but they're not. Um, and there's this belief that any argument from the academy, like from me, who says, you know what, maybe it's more complicated and maybe we need to think a little bit more compassionately about the range of successful ways to be human makes people mad. And yes. that's what I got. I mean, people were so angry that they just made up stuff that I said all over the place. I mean, Fox News ran an entire piece on me that looked like yes. an interview. And I didn't speak with them. All they did was cut and paste different parts of the Scientific American essay in some weird ways and make it sound like uh, they had interviewed me. They sent me an email saying, you know, Professor Fuentes, do you have any comments on, you said this, do you have any comments on this? And I emailed them back saying, my only comment is, I didn't say that. Yes, that must have been incredibly frustrating for you. I mean, that's just got to be beyond annoying. Yeah, it's, it's, part of the, it's part of the contemporary moment in the United States um, yes. and in the UK. Actually, the UK. yes, yes. There's, 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 there's a moment around this topic around gender, sex, sex, biology, human rights. There's a, a kind of violence that is uh, politicized to the extreme, and it, it, it's very hard to sort of throw your hat in the ring and 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 deal with it because it, it's it's quite horrible the, the the response and the stuff that that you get for that. But the the point being is that back to ignorance, acknowledge is power, but only if we use it. So yes. staying quiet about this is dangerous in this moment. There are over 500 laws uh, try in the United States and different states right now being proposed that are seeking to take away from uh, uh, transgendered individuals and gay, lesbian, and, and other individuals outside of a one perspective of, of sexualities, trying to take away their rights to be fully human. And, and that's, that's for real, and it's very dangerous. And I wish that is actually much more important than the details about the biology that we might be fighting about. And so many of these laws and so many of this attitude, as you say, it's based on it's it's the way I kind of see it is it's based on utilizing the ignorance of people, the fear of the other. We always come back to the fear of the, whether it's racism or whatever it might be. Gosh, it's I mean, it's it, it's horrible. But, it, but here we are talking about it, which I think is so incredibly important, you know. I'm just going to go off on somewhat of a tangent. I happen to live not too far from one of the best zoos in the country. I've always had a kind of a little sort of weird thing about zoos. It's like, and I'm sure as an anthropologist, you do too. Thankfully, the zoo that's near me 
they've done their very best to try to keep the animals in natural surroundings, so to speak. One of the things that I love about going to the zoo, and I do go frequently, is watching the humans more than watching the animals because it's so fascinating hearing what people say and the way they behave in front of you know, the chimpanzees and the and the gorillas and, and the elephants and, and whatever it may be. We as humans do have this kind of bizarre sort of love of animals, but at the same time, we love sort of just feigning ignorance at the same time just like to get your take on on what what we why we behave like that in front of animals or with animals well i think there's a whole bunch of things that are really important and it's directly relevant to this conversation right yes. i mean we are animals yes. we are animals we're mammals we're primates right yes and so that's actually the start of it so when we look at other primates chimpanzees uh gorillas uh range of monkeys or when we look at other mammals like elephants or yes. you know uh, uh dogs or we we actually resonate even subconsciously, right? They're like, oh, there's some similarities and some differences because we are, you know, related. We're, yes. we're part of the world. So understanding that should make us a little bit more humble and recognize that there's, wow, a lot of interesting biological patterns and processes out there we can learn from that world. So that's one part. The other part is how we describe those. If you hang out in zoos, and I, I have the same very mixed relationship with zoos, but, but you know, yeah. um, how we... Um, how people talk about uh, other animals is really equally interesting because what they do is tend to take gendered, politicized, social, historical roles of humans and slap them right on to the uh, to the to the animals. I, I can't tell you how many times I've been in a, a zoo or something like that, listening to people describe them like, and they're pointing it at a, a a a large female doing something like, "Oh, see the male there? He's the big one who's doing this or whatever." You yes, know, yes. We, we have these like gender roles. Like, there's mommy; she's making food for the baby. I'm like, yes. sometimes yes, other times, times no. No, right? Yeah. And that biology, right? That incredible complexity of the world, where generally, right, there are patterns of females and males. There are patterns about reproductive biology that are really important, but those patterns are actually much more variable than most people think. And so trying to essentialize like one biology of female and one biology of male and make everything on the planet, including humans, be that, that's wrong. Yes, they're male and female, but those biologies maybe don't mean what we think they mean. Do you think, Augustine, that, of course, education is needed and it's so very important. But here we are, as, as I said, in 2023, and things do seem to be going backwards here in, yeah. once again, I point to Florida, where education is being stymied left, right, and center. Right. So what do we do? What What do you, as an anthropologist, outside of what you've written and, and the work that you do, what can we do? What can I do? What can, what can we collectively try to do to... to to make the situation better so we are all more knowledgeable yeah i think that the first thing and the most important thing is is there is a systemic attempt to dumb down people in this country people are smart uh, globally maybe in some ways but people are smart humans are incredibly capable thoughtful rationally sometimes <laughs> organisms that, yes. that, that try to solve problems and figure stuff out so we every one of us has the ability right to onboard information and so the first thing people can do is look when there's something as divisive or problematic or just complicated uh, as this topic take some time with it read a few things 
try to figure out what's going on. Or more importantly, you know what? Look at yourself, your own experiences with your body and your families or your friends. And the one thing that I say when people do that and really reflect on, look around you at everyone you know, already you're going to say, huh, there's a lot of complexity and variety going on here. Not everyone who's male is the same, not everyone who's female is the same. And in fact, there are people who don't seem to fit my perception of what each of these categories is. Every one of us has those experiences. So that's the first thing. Be aware of humans, right? Uh, yes. And try to learn a little bit about, about biology and culture and history. And the second thing, and this is important for people like me in the academy who, you know, I'm a tenured full professor at Princeton. Um, it's important for us not to shut up even though we're, we're resoundingly attacked for just pointing out, look, it's more complex. That doesn't mean you can't understand it, but it does mean you got to back away from these very simplistic, binary, politically charged assertions and spend some time with how complicated, how wonderful, and how messy the experience of being human is. So this kind of openness to being like, ooh, maybe it's more complicated. And at the same time, this desire to actually learn information. But but I guess, and I'm babbling here, but I, I really no. think just looking at other humans, right? Like think of everyone you've known yes. and then just try to say, okay, I'm gonna have two categories that are completely distinct, male and female. Yeah. Yes, yes. Oh, that doesn't quite no. work. Okay, right. what if, yeah. what's going on here? What about man, woman? Oh, well, that doesn't work. Well, yeah. why not? Huh, this is interesting. Well, where is this going? What does this tell me? And there you have it. Yes. I'm going to go back once again in one of my little tangents. Um, it, it does seem to me that there is a there is this there is this ability for people, just just when I, I'm gonna say regular people, just you know, Mr. and Mrs. next door, who like to sort of pretend things aren't actually the way they are. For instance, my little example, many, many years ago back in the 18th century when I was going to art school. My girlfriend at the time took me with her parents to her, in quotes, uncle's house for dinner. Well, uncle happened to have a roommate, a friend. Well, it was clear to me and it was clear to my girlfriend at the time that uncle and his friend were quite clearly homosexuals, which was no problem with that, but the mother and father of my girlfriend were in either deliberately in a sort of a, you know, a space of they didn't recognize it or they just didn't want to. And this, I think, still goes on today, doesn't it? Yeah. Well, this is sort of what we're talking about. That's one case that's changed slightly, but it is still part of what's going on today. The whole idea that people want to say, no, look, I have a cultural religious, experiential, social, political view of the world, and that's yeah. the way it is. I've written a book about this. People believe, when they believe that, it's real for them, and that's all they see, yes. right? I mean, if you're really committed to that. The problem is, the data are clear that human sexuality, for example, is homosexual, bisexual, heterosexual, that there's a huge range, and that that's actually been, as far as we can tell, quite deep in time, normative for humans. And it's actually present in other organisms as well. Sex is social. It's yes. not just stories about reproduction. And it's about bonding and a variety of other things. So the, the, the whole idea that there's only one way to be sexual for humans and for many other organisms is just not true, right? So if that's not true, then you have to ask, why has there been so much homophobia uh, uh, cross-culturally in some cases and other cases not? But let's just take you in the United States. Why is that still around? 
It's still around because of historical, political, and social reasons, not because of anything having to do with biology or humanity. The thing is, is that everyone already knows, as you said, this is already a standard. People know that there's this diversity, but some people, because right of what they believe of their social, political, cultural, and historical upbringing and experiences, can't see right that there are many successful ways to be human. They think there are one or two or three, and and that's just not true. Now. That doesn't mean, right, that doesn't mean that all of this is rooted in biology or that all of this has one specific cause or that there are five types of humans, not three. It, it means that we got to step back yes. and really ask, what is this? What does it look like to be human? What are the patterns and context? And how do we defend and support humanity's right to flourish in a diverse set of manners? Now, Augustine, as an anthropologist, you know only too well that pornography is not something new to us, yeah. uh, to humans. We It's been around for since time began. But here we are in the 21st century, and am I right in surmising that pornography has had a hand in educating people, albeit that it might be completely wrong, but at the same time had a had a part in it? I mean, you know, that's a whole other discussion. But yeah, yeah, yeah. When we talk about education and information, it's like I'm pretty convinced that that many young folks growing up today get more knowledge. And here I'm using, you know, scare yeah, yeah, quotes yes, because this yes. is not knowledge. More information about biology and bodies through watching porn online than they do in school, right? Like yes. you should really learn how bodies work, how reproductive systems work in a basic education system. Um, and you should also learn about sexuality. You should also learn about those dynamics, because if you learn everything or most things about sexuality through watching it online and then attempting it in life, you're going to have a really messed up, skewed version of it, right? Because things are made online for financial gain, right? Things are made online for particular reasons, not as educational uh, uh, things. So, I mean, the ease and access to pornography is highly problematic right now, but I would say even more problematic than that, right? Because I'm not against pornography per oh. se, I think exploitation and, and there's a lot of abusive things going on. But m- what I'm really worried about is the open and easy access to massive misinformation and misinformation that's geared towards hate, right? That's what we see really right now. So I'm, I'm much less worried about exposure to pornography if people had infrastructure and they talked about sexuality in schools, for example, you know, in your own state now, you yes. don't be able to have a sex education class or even a class historically that talks about the complexity of sex and gender across societies or even in history or even the 60s that you referred to right or the victorian era right that's going to be wiped out and so i don't even know what they're going to teach in class when you say hate sex and hate are we talking exclusively about misogyny or can we spread this out yeah we can spread it out now the misogyny is a significant issue right here so anti-women bias structurally economically politically has a deep and rich history in multiple societies and in the society we're living in right now it's very very poignant and powerful i mean there's a number of that's well known and well documented but but i think we can expand this out more because really what a lot of this kind of hate related to sex and sexuality is it's about power and about control and about fear right so individuals who don't map to one's expectations. I think the world should be this way. I think sex should be this way or sexuality should be this way. I think gender should be this way. If you are afraid of things outside of what you believe to be the right way to be, um, then you can use this kind of hate 
to manipulate and to, to create power imbalances. And I think you're right. Misogyny is very critical, but it goes way beyond that. And it's about power and disenfranchisement. And this, you know, comes back to racism, right? Uh, certain uh, structures of, of, of anti-religious, you know, engagements. There's, there's all of these complexities around. There's one way to be. And if you're not my way, then you got to take the highway. And that's just not right. You know, in talking to you, and as every time I have chatted to you, I, I, I realize, and I kind of know this anyway, but there's so many areas that we could go off into. We could go in, in not just tangents, but there's, there's, there's such a lot to discuss and take in. And, and, and again, I'm going to bring it back to you as an anthropologist. This must be the most fascinating part of what you do in in knowing that you can go off on all, the, all these different areas. It's just got to be so exciting. So the, the magic of it, so I'm trained in zoology and anthropology. So I yeah. work a lot in human biology. I also work in ethnography, sort of hanging out with people, learning how they live and what their cultural patterns and processes are and trying to relate that to bodies. That's my real interest. Yes. And I love to do that in deep time over the last 2 million years where the human ancestors, how, how yeah. do we evolve the way we are? So just even in that nutshell, you can see I'm really fascinated in what makes us tick. And anthropology is what we call an intellectually generous enterprise. That is, we draw from multiple disciplines. We know, right, that the world doesn't exist like a university. It's not like there's English department and there's biology department yes. and there's anthropology yeah, department yeah, and there's yeah. physics yeah. department. It turns out in the world, all those things are completely entangled and messed up. And so the, the trick, I guess, about anthropology is we're okay with that. Um, we recognize that's the way it is. That's why I collaborate and work with people across the board in different disciplines and different specialties to try to pull this all together. I mean, the bottom line is that anthropology, the word means the study of humans. And how can you study humans without trying to draw on as many different sources as possible? You know, one area that for future reference I'd love to talk to you about is the way the medical world or I, I, I guess the world sort of the doxers work in the well in, I guess in the western world right? maybe around the world right now how it all works because it all seems to me to be catching up all the time I mean I know there's advancements yeah. in in medical procedures and cures and all the rest of it but just how doctors treat patients and the the patient doctor relationship just doesn't seem to be up to date and there's so many people, wonderful people that go into to health and, and variety of things, medicine, public health, variety of other things that are so well-intentioned. It's just the system is is really difficult right now. I, I wrote a piece recently on this where uh, I and a, and a medical doctor sort of co-wrote something about evolutionary and medicine working together, evolutionary anthropology and medicine. Um, and, and we brought up uh, this, this uh, uh, model, the way of talking about contemporary medicine that I really like. And it's saying that in, in the United States, in the West in general, but the United States in particular, um, medicine is sort of following the broken car model, right? That is, you go into the doctor's office and they're like, which part of you is broken? Let's work on that part or swap that out. Let's fix the part that's broken and get you back out on the road. Whereas in fact, health, right? Which the World Health Organization defined in 1949 and hasn't modified that definition is not just about disease, right? Or state of physical well-being, it's about the entire person, right? It is about the well-being writ large and their social and, and structural context, not just about the presence or absence of disease or injury. And that's what we got to get back to, right? So you should be able to go to the doctor and they should think of you as a person, as an organism in a community and think about working there, not which piece of you can they replace or modify and then send you back out on the road. 
All doctors, I think, should have a couple of lectures from Augustine Fuentes just to sort of set the set the path for them. I, I, I think that would be a great idea. I love talking to you, my friend. You 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 are just such a there's such a lot of vibrance that emanates from you. And I and I, I love your passion. It, it's, it's, it's just terrific. Well, thanks. And I, I love being on the show. It's it's fun to just be able to sort of, you know, talk about these wide range of things, because Again, as you know, and we said before, in most places, they're like, okay, here's the one topic, yes. let's just focus on this. And yeah. that's fine, and that's good sometimes, but we have to remember that nothing exists in isolation. And so these broader ranging topics, I mean, this is why, you know, the art of speaking is important. It's not just talking about something. It's about this sort of dynamic interaction and thinking, right? If 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 we can facilitate people enjoying thinking, criticizing, engaging more, then success, right? Absolutely. We've got to get you on again and talk about music another time, because I know that's something that you're really interested in. My guest, Augustin Fuentes, has been talking to us about his article, his essay in Scientific American. The link will be up at lifeelsewhere.co. The title is Here's Why Human Sex is Not Binary. It's just a terrific read. You've got to seriously read this. Augustin, it, it is an absolute honor and a pleasure talking to you, my friend. Thank you so very much for joining us once again at Life Elsewhere. Thanks for having me, Norman. I look forward to the next time. Thank you. Now we go back in time to a conversation with Associate Professor of Ancient Roman History, Julie Langford. The recording was made just after the landmark decision by the Supreme Court that same-sex couples have the same legal right to marry as different-sex couples. Again, this conversation may be disturbing to some listeners, but we hope you all will listen attentively. Since the Supreme Court's ruling on same-sex marriage, rainbows have suddenly appeared on almost everything and everywhere. And you'd be forgiven if you thought everyone was delighted that love and marriage now included gay people. Except, of course, not everyone is so jubilant. So what happens when your family members follow a strict religious dictum that says homosexuality is an abomination. Can you discuss the notion of same-sex marriage with them? And what do you say when your family are outraged at your happiness for your gay friends? Now, this is the dilemma that faced a learned professor, which resulted in her writing the following on her Facebook page. My heart hurts. I've tried this week to engage honestly and respectfully with my family about the SCOTUS' decision on gay marriage. I did so because I firmly believe that we're all good people who do not want others who suffer, who, if we could step away from the rhetoric, could find a way to live and let live. I found that we cannot. I should perhaps not be surprised but I'm so profoundly sad and disappointed. Those are the powerful yet despondent words of my guest, Professor Julie Langford. Julie, welcome to Life Elsewhere. Thank you. It's good to be here. 
So I read this on Facebook. I, I, I read what you had to say, and, and it struck a note with me because I, it, obviously you, you feel, you explain to my listeners just the emotions that went through that caused you to write that passage, that post on Facebook. Well, I think as a little bit of background, you need to know that um, my family is very conservative. I grew up in Salt Lake City, and um, they are almost to a one. My siblings, at least, are pretty devout. Now, they're devout Mormons, correct? Devout Mormons, yes. Yes, Yes, and the church teachings, um, they haven't changed since the church was first dealing with these issues. You might remember Proposition 8 in California that the church um, attempted to, you know, stymie the civil rights of homosexuals. They were they put in a lot of money and a lot of volunteer work in order to to um, defeat Prop 8. And since then, the church has changed its stance slightly. They seem to um, decide that they're not going to actively persecute homosexuals anymore that they're welcome in the church, though, of course, they should not be engaging in any sort of homosexual activities. They should be healing themselves, as it were. The church also, at least at BYU, has a history of shock therapy in order to cure homosexuals. So there's there's definitely um, a history that has troubled my family concerning homosexuality. And uh, when I decided to go into academia, of course, I met a broad range of people that I had not encountered in Salt Lake City growing up. And um, part of that diversity had to do with um, sexual orientation. So a number of my very dear friends um, are gay or somewhere in the middle (laughs) between gay and straight. I can't say that I was jumping up and down about the decision because the way that Justice Kennedy handled it, um, handled opinion of the majority, uh, I felt missed the point, right? That there was this feeling that, especially in the last paragraph of the decision that, or of of the opinion, it felt like you had the opportunity to either be married and be happy or be alone and miserable. I confess that many of my friends would much rather prefer to be miserable. Yeah. So, um, so it was it was sort of a mixed decision, and and besides that, she misquoted Cicero. She took him totally out of context, and you know how I am about classical literature. (laughs) It's very important to me that it's quoted properly. Um, However, uh, as far as the civil rights issue is concerned. Uh, I definitely feel that gay people should have the opportunity to get the same sort of rights that married people do, or or rather that uh, heterosexual couples do, namely inheritance rights, tax breaks, um, the right to be with a partner without their family's permission if they're lying sick in the hospital. These are just civil rights that we should all have. And so um, to me, that was the most compelling of the issues. I also have a lot of experience thinking about gender and sexuality because, of course, that's my specialty, um, particularly in ancient Rome, though I've also um, read quite a bit on Greece, um, how homosexuality was considered in Greece, ancient Greece, and um, I've had opportunity to think about it in the Middle Ages and under the Ottoman Empire and in the United States. 
So there's a history there that um, I recognize. Uh, there's not a whole lot of gay marriage in those in those societies, though there is a little bit. So I feel like I have a historical yeah. Yeah. Um, perspective on this as well. So let's focus back to your family mm-hmm. and, and your discussions with your family. Mm-hmm. Talk to me about some of the things that that came out when this ruling came down for this from the Supreme Court. You talked to your family. You you had some discussions. Give me some more details about that. Well, what's curious about it is that the sorts of arguments that they were putting forward were very much sound bites that they had heard off of, you know, they hear it from a a variety of places. It's not just Fox News. They hear it over the pulpit. They have it in conversations with one another. And and largely, they feel like it has to do with uh, religious, the protection of religious rights and a feeling like, um, <laughs> you've heard the, the same old saw, that uh, a baker should not have to cook a cake, create a cake for a gay couple. Let me stop you there <clears throat> for a moment because we, I, I, I hear this about florists don't, need to, don't have to make bouquets for gay weddings or bakers shouldn't have to make cakes for gay weddings, etc. What? Where did that come from? It just sounds so strange. I, I just don't understand I how that, that became is, a focus. Yeah, I think this is just a bogus sort of argument that came out of nowhere. Right. Um, I, I, particul- I have a sister who is a real estate agent and, um, again, a very devout Mormon. Her whole family is devout. And I remember my mother asking her some years ago when she was dealing with a gay couple, how can you do that? Aren't they funny? (laughs) (laughs) By funny, she meant gay. And um, she found, you know, from the society that she was raised in, she found homosexuality to be repulsive. Right. And my sister made this comment, um, which was their money spends the same as everybody else's does. Uh. Though she she was outraged by the SCOTUS decision. Yeah. So um, there's there's this feeling of religious impingement um, that I confess doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. I don't I don't understand how gay people enjoying those same sorts of civil rights impinges upon heterosexual marriage or in any way diminishes it. It seems to me like it's more a question of honoring it and wanting to. Um, wanting to have that same kind of commitment towards a stable lifestyle that contributes to society. Which seems, on the face of it, rather conservative, doesn't it? It does. If you're just joining us, my guest is Professor Julie Langford. She teaches uh, ancient Roman history. I hope I got that the right way around. Or is it history <laughs> of ancient right. Rome? Right? <laughs> uh, Julie wrote a piece uh, um on Facebook, she posted a, a piece on Facebook uh, talking about her dismay of of how her family um, was so outraged by the SCOTUS decision uh, ruling on gay marriage. So let's focus in, Julie, on on how you spoke to your family. You know their opinions. What did you say to them? How Was there any way that you could try? Did you attempt to try and get your your thoughts across to them about the ruling? Yes. Um, 
I will say that my default in trying to discuss any issue with people is to point to evidence um, to try and make a rational argument for why I believe how I believe. And before I did that, though, I, I mean, I realized that actually Mormonism is profoundly anti-intellectual. And so I very much needed to shape my words. Let me, let me see if I can understand what you mean when you say it's Mormonism is anti-intellectual. What, what does that mean? Well, um, I was always taught as I was a child that there were um, people, professors in particular, who would naysay. They would try and show evidence to explain why um, religion was untenable in particular particularly Mormonism, was untenable. Um, but it was, though they didn't quote Descartes, this was what was behind it, that the heart has its reasons that reason cannot know, and that there was a different kind of knowledge that was far greater. It's not so different from what you're hearing in the media now, where conservatives are saying that there is a higher law than the, um, than the Supreme Court of the United States, and that is God's law, and it does not change, and we should... You know, that's interesting, because I've, I've noticed on a lot of commentators on the, on the right, conservative commentators, uh, almost saying that the Supreme Court is, is unnecessary. We don't need the Supreme Court. And uh, Have you heard that? Yes, yes, yes. I have heard that. <laughs> and, and, of course, that's true until the Supreme Court rules in their favor, favor. Yes. <laughs> at which point they become highly <laughs> necessary. Exactly. <laughs> So let's get back to you talking to your to your family. Is this? I mean, I'm sure that there are other things that you've talked about, but this particular subject, uh, gay marriage, talking to your your strictly Mormon family, the way you were raised, but you you no longer a practicing Mormon. Correct. So, in talking to them, it, it, does there become a, a moment when you just you just and, and I think this part of what you wrote on your your Facebook uh, piece is you. It's almost like you're holding your hands up and just going, okay, I give up. There's, how do I explain this? How do I, how do I go further with this? But you did make an attempt. You do try to converse. But there becomes a point where you're talking to deaf ears. Is that what happens? I think so. And the sorts of evidence that I am presenting to them is not convincing to them. It's, it's kind of like that, you know, when there's no common ground upon which you can agree, it's hard to go further in the conversation. And they essentially rejected my rational approach to this because for them it's not a rational issue. It's a religious issue. Yeah. It's a matter of faith. Despite the fact, I, well, okay, here was my strategy, right? And I, I think that this is not a bad strategy for human communication in general, is that I tried to listen very closely to what it is that they were saying and what they weren't saying. Right. Right. Um, and then I tried to essentially speak back to them. So this is what I'm hearing you say. And I can understand why that would be upsetting to you, especially coming from the background that you do and holding the beliefs that you do. Um, this is why I think that it was a good thing. And I, again, pointed to the civil rights issues. But what I found is that because they think in such a dramatically different way, because they find truth in such a dramatically different way than I do, that um, they, couldn't, they couldn't admit any of those grounds, right? It's not a question of civil rights. It's a question of being forced to um, accept this decision that we think is the law of the land, which we think is misguided and it works directly against the laws of God. 
when you were talking to your family and and I guess I guess after speaking to your family and and obviously being somewhat frustrated did did, there, did it strike you at some point in time that you can never ever change the way they think that this is this is just so ingrained and is this something which as growing up as a mormon you were you you were immersed in the whole mormon culture when you're immersed in a religious culture like that whether it's mormon whether it's doesn't matter what it is do you ever try to look outside of it is it something that you that you you don't ever look beyond what you're told are you talking about people who are still involved yes, in it yes yes no there's a wide range of of people that you encounter in the mormon church despite the lack of trust in intellectuals there are quite a number of really, really smart Mormons who have given this um, some thought and have come about it and, again, gone through sort of rational yeah. arguments and realized that the church's position is untenable. Now, they're not going to go around and say that, mm. right? But when you have one-on-one -on -one conversations, they will concede that this makes sense. However, there are also people who, and I think this is true of the general public, who prefer not to think for themselves because right. it's hard. Yes. And particularly when you come across evidence that seems to point to manipulation by your church leaders of their congregations, um, it causes a great deal of heartache yeah. and disorientation. And that hurts, right? And people like to avoid being hurt. I want to talk to you because you mentioned about ancient history. That is what you specialize in. We're talking to Professor Julie Langford. She specializes in teaching ancient Roman history. I want to bring this conversation about gay marriage and about the uh, the objections to gay marriage by your your Mormon family and friends back to what you know, as you said, best, and that's ancient history. Julie, would the ancient Romans have been upset? I think they would have been baffled <laughs> more than upset. Um, it's, I think it's important to recognize that there was no such category as gay until the 18th century. Ah. It was simply sex. It was simply sex. <laughs> it was simply sex. And what was commented upon more than, you know, men having sex together or women having sex together is the strangeness of someone who only liked women or only liked men. And um, it was, sex is sex for them. And so when we find people who are being um, slandered, right, when historians are talking about emperors whom they particularly dislike, they will focus on, so for instance, the emperor Claudius. He, he was really disturbing because he only liked women. Or Nero, when they wanted to slam Nero, his adopted son, they said that he married a man, um, which was absolutely unheard of. But what was interesting is that the um, Nero was dressed up as a woman. So it was still imitating heterosexual marriage. Um, but the, the more scandalous aspect of it was that um, Nero, the emperor, the strongest, most powerful man in the world, was lowering himself to be as a woman and presumably would have received, um, would have been on the receiving end of the any sort of sexual relations, which the Romans found absolutely 
um, distasteful for a real man. A real man never received. But a real man, and this is true across Mediterranean cultures, even to today, a real man can, can give, right? He can penetrate, but it's a sign of um, a girly man or you know, someone half man if he enjoys receiving. Interesting. <laughs> <laughs> I wish my listeners could see the hand actions that are going on here. With the <laughs> well... <laughs> So let me ask you, because when we're talking about ancient history, um, ancient Roman history that you specialize in, are we just talking about the elite, um, the, 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 the moneyed classes, the, the aristocracy, or whatever they were called in, in ancient Rome? Are we talking about everybody, the, the head cook and bottle washer? That's a good question. Unfortunately, we don't have a lot of evidence for the head cook and bottle washer. But the evidence that we do have suggests that this is a, a pretty common opinion across the Mediterranean. Let me make one one exception to this. Yeah. Um, in Jewish culture, it was always considered that um, homosexual relations were um, something that they didn't do. That was something that the Greeks did, for ah. instance. And, um, and curiously, of course, the Greeks found the Jews to be really... Um, strange, not only, not just the Greeks, but the Romans as well, not only because they didn't seem to enjoy homosexual relations, well, that we know of, um, but also because they were circumcised, right? There was really sort of a mark that made them stand out, and uh, it was considered to be gross (laughs) for a man to be circumcised. There's a whole nother program here, isn't there? It really is. <laughs> we are talking to Professor Julie Langford. Um, she wrote a piece on Facebook which caught my attention where she discussed her upset, her despondency that her family, who are strict, devout Mormons, uh, did not approve, approve of or appreciate the Supreme Court's ruling on same-sex marriage. The Mormon Church, uh, we hear little bits and pieces about the Mormon Church, but for, I think for most people that aren't Mormons, no, don't know a lot about the Mormon Church. Uh, even when uh, Mitt Romney was running for president, there was a little bit of talk, a mm-hmm. little bit of uh, sort of, I guess, scant investigation about the Mormon Church. But for the most part, I don't think most people really understand about the Mormon Church. I'm not asking you to give me... A, a, a concise history of the Mormon Church, but can you just, just for a layperson like myself, just give me just a little overview? What is the Mormon Church? How about if I start by telling you why I think other Christian religions reject Mormonism as Christianity? Okay, is that a good place. To That's start? a good place to start. Yeah, um, it's because it's a, it's a theological reason. Um, Christians across the board, except for Mormonism, they believe in the Trinity right, that it's inseparable, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. And the Mormon uh, theology says that these are three separate beings with um, body parts and passions, and that God the Father and Jesus Christ are both, they have bodies, right? And this is really um, upsetting for other Christian religions. In addition to that, Mormons have a number of habits that the rest of Christianity finds really odd. So for instance, they wear garments after they've been through the temple 
and they baptize the dead. Um, they, they proselytize, as I'm sure you've had somebody knock on your door. And uh, so there's, there's a number of things that, particularly in the early church, Brigham Young said that um, we are a peculiar people, people, and we take pride in that because they envisioned that they are following the Word of God in the way that other, um, other Christian sects have moved away from. So you still love your family, you, you, oh, even yes. though you, you disagree and they disagree with you. Oh, yes, of course. These are, yeah. these are really lovely people. They are pillars of their community. Yeah. If they found you, you know, stopped on the highway because you were yeah. broken down, they will stop. Two of one of them, Yes, they will stop and they will help you. If they find that you are in financial need, they will come to your aid. These these are good and loving people, and they absolutely believe um, that they are being loving, even in this. this. For them, this isn't about love. This is about the, the Word of God. Yeah. And um, no, I can't stop loving them. But it also means that I, I can't stop trying to get them to see their goodness and that their position is... It's cramped and it's mean and it's angry and it comes from a position, I think, of insecurity and unwillingness to unwillingness to see another way of life. I think that's a great place to finish the interview. Uh, It's been a delight talking to you. We've been talking to Professor Julie Langford. She specializes in teaching ancient Roman history. Julie, thank you so very much for joining us at Life Elsewhere. It's been my pleasure. Thank you to my guest, anthropologist Augustine Fuentes, an associate professor of ancient Roman history, Julie Langford. Details about this show are up at lifeelsewhere.co. Till next time, please be well, be safe, and you know it's so easy to do. Be nice. Bye-bye. You have been listening to Life Elsewhere, created and hosted by Norman B. Life Elsewhere is written and produced by Norman B. Guest booking and additional research by Stephanie Lane. Behind the scenes assistance by James Van, Bruce Goodman, and Allison Klein. We love to hear what you think about Life Elsewhere. Send your questions, queries, and comments to info at lifeelsewhere.com. Dot co. That's C-O. Mm-hmm.